Fishing may be an organic sport, but whether you like it or not, technology is placing an increasing role in catching fish. And we're going to talk about just that on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. Of course, brought to you like it is every week by our fine folks at Sportsman's Warehouse. Visit them at sportsmans.com or any one of 140 plus stores nationwide and tell them old Chad told you to stop in and say hi. Guys, it's technology. We're fishing in the late summer now and technology is a key part of how we're catching fish right now and I've gotten a lot of questions about it in the last couple of weeks and with the junior Bassmaster tournaments that just went on here around my home lake uh, once again one using technology and it seems to be a major part of the conversation and I've been posting stuff on our Facebook and Instagram occasionally talking about technology and fishing and it seems like always get mixed reviews uh, depending on what what we talk about on there and I get everything from oh that's cheating to I can't wait to try it and everywhere in between and it just depends I think on where your background is but regardless of where you stand on it technology is teaching us a whole lot of stuff about catching fish that we just really didn't know before and I'm going to maintain a couple things for as we get into this. Uh, first and foremost, I don't care how much technology you have, you still have to understand fish and the outdoors environments to get at least in the ballpark of what's going on. No, no amount of technology is going to completely resolve that for you, uh, despite what it might look if you watch the most recent uh, quote-unquote northern swing tournaments on the Bassmaster Series and, uh, and the MLF events where they're in the northern, northern half of the United States. And they're prim- primarily fishing for smallmouth bass in the in the late summer. Uh, those tournaments are 100% uh, technology-driven tournaments at this point, and I, I I can say that because the last five tournaments uh, in a row were won by guys that are either rookies or two of them were won by rookies, two of them by second-year anglers, and one of them by a third-year angler. And that should tell you something about how much the playing field is being equalized by the technology because, uh, or maybe even swung in the favor of the, of the noobs, I should say, uh, because at the end of the day, you don't have to have a lifetime full of experience maybe to fine-tune presentations that you had before. I'm going to still maintain that on a place like, for instance, the most recent one, the St. Lawrence River, where you have that much water to spread out and fish, uh, and I mean literally hundreds of miles of water the guys can fish, you still have to get around the right fish, the right caliber of fish, which means you need to have some basic fishy skills, map skills, which I could argue is technology uh, in and of itself, and we will argue that. But you still got to know where you're going to go look. All the technology in the world won't help you catch fish if you're not around them, but it might help you find them, and it'll definitely figure out how to help you to get them to bite when you do get around them. And that's a key part of what what the gist is. And by now, I assume you you understand when I'm talking when I'm saying technology and fishing. I'm talking specifically about sonar live sonar, GPS, side scanning, down scanning, all the stuff that's built into our information gatherers now in our boats. 
Uh, you'll see pro bass guys also with noisemakers underwater built into their into their boats that will make noise in the water uh, that will attract fish to mimic bait fish. Uh, we've got noise canceling things to take the the vibration out of the sonar uh, or the interference out of sonars uh, from trolling motors, things like that. There's just a tremendous amount of technology in a current boat. And my, my boat right now, I have a 2023 Ranger Z521R, and it's for sale, by the way. Send me an email at chat at fishfulfinger.com uh, if you would like to buy a very, very lightly used, babied, never tournament uh, used, no saltwater bass boat. But yes, that's a gratuitous plug. Uh, my boat's got USB ports all over it for plugging stuff in. It's got auxiliary power all over it for hooking different technological items up. It's got multiple sonars and graphs. It's got, what, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five GPS antennas in it, GPS pucks in it, um, or antennas specifically. Uh, you know, there's just a tremendous amount of technology, and it's a tremendous amount of money as well uh, when you really look at it. But the important thing from maybe you're just a weekend guy with a basic sonar, all of the technology that you see in the latest and greatest boats is trickles down over time to all the next boats. So what, what, what you might see in a boat like mine or a, a pro-level bass guy or walleye guy's boat right now, that technology will trickle down into the smaller, more simple units over time until everybody will have it, and it will become a standard. And right now, because it's not a standard, I think is where a lot of the hatred comes out from certain people saying, oh, well, geez, if you're, if you're using live sonar, that's cheating. And... Uh, I think part of that comes down to the fact of either they haven't either tried it to find out that it's not the end all be all that it seems like it is when we start talking about it and, or B uh, they'll find out that you'll drive yourself crazy with it because what you really learn is how many fish don't bite. And then you'll drive yourself nuts trying to get those fish to bite in a pretty common scenario. And I've been doing a lot of that in the last couple of weeks. I have a special project I'm working on for Berkeley um, it's been a very intensive project on live sonar, forward-facing sonar, otherwise known as FFS amongst the industry. That's the acronym for it. Uh, it. I've driven myself crazy because I've seen fish that I just flat could not get to bite, lake trout being one of them, where I camped on some lake trout where they will literally stay with your lure indefinitely. I mean, 10, 15 minutes goes by, you've got one laker that if you move the lure anywhere, he stays with it. He won't leave. You keep track of him on the on the, on the the uh, active target, which is Lawrence's version of it. Uh, Live Scope is the Garmin one. Everybody's, everybody's got their own version of it. I use active target. I'm a Lawrence guy for my whole career. I watched Lake Trout literally spend 10, 15 minutes following a jig around on the bottom and not bite it. And... You would never know he was there without the live technology. The closest, I would say, would be something like ice fishing where you see um, on, a, on a traditional flasher where you will see fish come up underneath a, a hole. You can see them on a flasher unit, but you don't have near the information that you have from live sonar. Live sonar, I can literally see the mood of the fish. How fast does he run up on the bait or not run up on the bait? Is he tight on the bottom, a little bit off the bottom? When I lift it above him, does he leave or does he come back? I mean, there's all different stuff that our sonar sort of taught us on a flasher days through the ice, uh, but doesn't give you, again, the, the detail that you get now with, with current um, active target or, or forward-facing sonar. So 
the, the flip side of it is I wouldn't sit on that waypoint and fish for that long if I couldn't see that the fish was still there. So I might have gone and found other fish and caught them quicker. You never know that it's that it's automatically um, uh, finding them is the whole battle. What, what I'm finding out is a high percentage of the fish don't bite. And the technology teaches you that really quickly. So the technology in fishing in this case can actually wipe out your confidence a little bit because maybe you visit two or three schools of fish, don't get any of those fish to bite. Well, now your confidence is beat down. Whereas you might not have that vibe if you couldn't so clearly see that they came right up to your lure and then refused it. Now, a guy that fishes fly fishing a lot might be familiar with that scenario because he's drifted umpteen flies over the same rainbow trout who comes up and looks at all of them and doesn't bite any of them. That's about the closest analogy that I can think of. And in that scenario, you're just using your eyes. In this scenario, it's going on under the boat or out in front of the boat as the case might be. And it's just very interesting to watch how much the fish don't bite. Or the other thing is, uh, how much times they just flat spook from your lure or your boat. And that's another key piece of this technology that I'm learning is how many fish leave my boat. They don't want anything to do with your boat. So as the boat gets close to the water, or gets close to the cover they're in, they leave. Or you get over the top of them and sit on the trolling motor and they leave. And I've done other podcasts about that, so I'm not going to to drill on that too much, but you can literally get on a school of fish right now on my home lake. You can idle over them. They're fine. You idle over them on the big motor, they, they don't care. And I think it's because every boat on the lake has a big motor on it, and they're used to that. Most of them don't amount to anything. But the ones with that little whirling trolling motor on the front, now those ones lead to problems for the school of fish. And they've learned that. And so you idle over them, they're fine. You turn right back around, you drop the trolling motor, you go right back to the waypoint, right to the top of the ridge or hump or whatever they were sitting on just a second ago when you idled over them, and you come back, and they're not there. They vacate as you're leaving or as soon as the boat gets back on top of them you can watch them on the live sonar and they just vacate you will drive yourself crazy doing things like that so it has changed my angling because now i've learned to sit back and see if they're 10 15 20 feet deep i might sit back a full cast length or half a cast length and lob casts at them rather than go try to sit on top of them which historically i would try to do uh, same thing with fishing some of the bushes. You pull up on some of the bushes. You can see the fish on deep willow bushes. You can see them leave. And when they do that, it just wipes your confidence out altogether. So it can be an equally um, disturbing thing, let's just say, in the boat to have in your boat is having technology. Another thing about the technology that I think is uh, important to keep in mind is the boats are getting increasingly difficult to manage. And what, by that I mean you have to have your ducks in a row with technology yourself personally before you can really deal with the modern boats in a lot of ways. Otherwise you need professional help to get that boat set up. Maybe you went to Ranger or whoever you buy your boat from and you and you bought a boat completely set up in terms of having all the graphs installed and all that. And But when it comes to the initial... What I'm calling setup work is to get that thing set how you want, how your screens and how your data management and how everything ties together and what what puck, you know, what sonar um, uh, transducer are you using, which GPS puck are you using, uh, which information is the same at both ends of the boat versus different at both ends of the boat, uh, you know, how they all the units 
talk to each other and share data with each other, how you manage that data in terms of, okay, well, for in, in my case, I've got 3,000 waypoints uh, that I need to keep track of. Well, without technology, I wouldn't have that. I'd have a mental stuff to deal with. Well, every time I sell a boat or get a new boat or get in somebody else's boat, I'm moving waypoints around constantly, so it becomes a data management thing. Uh, so that's another deal or a network management thing in the boat itself when it comes to maintenance or connectivity. My boat's got multiple uh, Bluetooth uh, enable items in the boat. It's, uh, it's also got a wired connection, the NMEA wired connection network through it as well. So there's just a tremendous amount of stuff to take care of in the boat. So if you're one of those anglers with a basic boat or basic technology in your boat, don't look at it automatically as a hindrance. What I would do is study very hard all the videos I can find online or on YouTube or wherever of anglers that do have the technology and see what it's doing to them so that you at least have the mindset of what's going on. Look at videos, and, and I've got several of them on my Facebook right now, of watch fish react to baits or react to boats or whatever the case might be. And you can learn some things from watching other people have it. So it's not automatically... Uh, a detriment to not have it. And I also want to point out that unless you're talking about an open water smallmouth tournament, a lot of the largemouth tournaments are still one old school with guys flipping, you know, shallow cover. They're not using their live target stuff or their active target stuff uh, in that scenario. So it's not a given you got to have it. There's still plenty of guys that compete uh, that do just fine. It is a huge advantage in open water though and in that scenario the old guys when i say the old guys the guys with the old mindset doesn't necessarily mean they're old guys but with the older mindset um they don't do as well these days they're not you can't power fish your way to glory quite like you could you know 10 years ago when you've got uh, three quarters of the field that's very very adept with uh, live sonar and therefore, if they have some basic fish locating knowledge, they'll spend whatever amount of time it takes in practice to figure out how to get those, get those fish to bite whatever it is. And because you can see them refusing, it's very similar to the analogy that I had about the dry fly guy a little bit ago, which is if I throw the same lure into this school of fish three times and they don't bite it, I can cut it off right now with confidence that they saw it in the same way that when I see that rainbow trout come up and look right at my fly and then go right back down to where he was and continue feeding, I know unequivocally that he did not like my fly. And if you can't see him do that, you don't know if they're not, if they don't see it, they don't like it, whatever the case might be. You don't know why you didn't get bit. You just know you didn't. Well, the same thing with the guys right now with, with live sonar. They're able to see in a couple of casts, nope, this is not the right bait because the fish came by, they looked at it, no, we didn't want it. Or they spooked from it or whatever the case might be. Conversely, if the whole school is following your bait, that's another one where you'll get where they'll be following your bait and you can maybe use the same lure, but you need to make sure retrieve up a whole bunch to get them to bite. But that's information that you gain from watching the fish on the sonar and teaching uh, yourself what they're doing or what they're not doing. So you can make very confident bait selections or bait changes um, in a hurry because you can see the fact that they're, no, they don't like that one, they don't like this one, they don't like that one. I can rotate through them in a hurry because the fish are giving me the information I need by being able to see them on the screen right there. I will point out that that doesn't mean you'll ever find a lure that they'll necessarily bite. There's been a whole bunch of times already where I've had schools of, of smallmouth and trout both that'll follow every single thing I throw but won't bite any of it. So 
that's another scenario as well. I've had walleyes that might as well be dead laying on the bottom. You can see them on the bottom. You bounce that bait through there, they don't even move. Unless you hit one with it, they just don't even move. It's, I don't know if they're sleeping or what the deal is, but they literally don't even move. And so, you know, you get that kind of feedback as well. But regardless, it teaches you some stuff. And so for the, for the next part of this, this particular podcast, I want to talk about some of the things that have taught me besides the fish getting away from the boat, which I've already talked about here. Uh, which, you know, like I said, fish pushing away from the boat, which incidentally is a product of your trolling motor more than anything else because uh, a good friend of mine who's got a doctorate in fish physiology has convinced me that there's no possible way that bass and walleye are hearing the pinging of your sonar. They don't possess the otolith bones to be able to do that uh, at that frequency, but the frequency that of the oscillation that your trolling motor blade spinning in the water gives off is right in their wheelhouse, and they can hear that, feel that from a long ways away. Therein lies the problem, which is how I figured out to stay away from the fish and fish make longer casts to them. As soon as I try to get on them with a trolling motor is when I run into my problem. So not going to talk about that one so much. We've talked about that enough in a couple of podcasts. What else have I learned? One, the strike zone is way bigger than what we think in most scenarios. And what do I mean by strike zone? A strike zone is how, fit, how far will a fish move to get your bait? And I'm going to expand that definition a little bit to say how far will a fish move uh, to know, or, or how far away will a fish notice your bait would be a better way uh, for me to put it, I think, in these days, because such a high percentage of fish don't bite. But what I would have told you before was, oh man, we have a really small strike zone. These fish are only, they're only willing to move a little bit away, da, 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 whatever the case might be. Uh, or a really big strike zone. Uh, man, I'm getting bites about left and right. Strike zone must be really big. Not necessarily. Strike zone might be exactly the same size. The fish are just biting more instead of following. But that's why I redefined it. Instead of saying how far they come to bite your lure, it's really how far will they notice it from. And what I found out is it's way more than what we realize as an angler. I've figured that out. I can literally drop a drop shot over the side of the boat. The water could be 35 feet deep. I just did this water's 35 feet deep. I drop a drop shot over the side of the boat. By the time that thing's 10 feet down, the fish are already coming off the bottom up to pick it up. I've done the same thing with crankbaits where the fish is nowhere near my crankbait and you see how fast they cover the distance from the crankbait and come up and pick it up or, or at least come and run it down and look at it. And those are things I would have said would not have happened. I would have told you five years ago, three years ago, I would have told you that a smallmouth bass will not come 35 feet up in the water column to grab something on the surface. Now I've seen them do it a bunch, and now I know they will. Before, I would have said, oh, well, that fish was suspended in the water column. He must have been suspended high in the column. He wouldn't have ever seen my lure from the bottom. I've watched them swim from the bottom to the surface, and yes, they will. And I'm not talking about in crystal clear water either. I'm talking about in water that's got reasonable clarity, but I'm not talking about, you know, like Lake Havasu where it's clear as glass or, or you know, something like that. I'm talking about just average water clarity and fish covering tremendous amount of range to come get a bait or at least come investigate a bait as the case might be. Same thing with Lakers. I had a Laker swim probably 30 feet horizontally on the bottom 
where he's just barely off the bottom to come get a jig that I'm jigging directly underneath my boat. I can see that the fish is 30 or 40 feet ahead of the boat. I'm jigging at a different fish that I can see under the boat, which is why I'm sitting right there. And this other laker swims all the way over there. I was told by one of the best lake trout guides in the whole country that there's no way they move that much day in and day out, but I've watched them now do it. So again, the strike zone is bigger than what I think we realized as anglers before. And along those same lines, another big change that I think is along those same lines is um, how far a fish will can, can literally, uh, depth range-wise, will cover all that space. So I would have told you before that strike zone and depth range were related to each other, but you need to be in the right depth range one way or the other. So you need to be fishing 10 to 15 feet or you know 15 to 20 feet or 20 to 25 or whatever the range might be. All my fish are four feet or less or whatever it is, whatever the depth range is. Now I figured out that your depth range might be huge and it's from looking at fish. And the thing is this, I figured out I can get bit five feet under the boat or I can get bit 25 feet under the boat on subsequent casts. And what I would have thought before were fish at different places in the water column, it's a depth range thing. It's just that one of them came up out of whatever range he was in, whether he was above it or below it. I've had fish chase my baits down. I've had them chase the, come up to intercept the baits dropping, and I've had them chase it on the reel up. In all cases, their depth range is right out the window. They're, they're willing to play with that thing from, from no water hardly at all, all the way to however deep I want to play with them. So... That's another thing that that I would have said. No way. They're they're in a tighter depth range, and we would have we being the fishing industry would have tied it to dissolved oxygen or water temperature or all these other things. But now I can tell you that nope, they're move up and down, no problem. It's not an issue at all. They'll move up and down, and um, and it's not a scenario where all the fish are in one depth range or even a high percentage of the fish are in the same depth range when they're sitting on the bottom. Yes, they will very commonly be in one depth range. Right now in my home lake, the, the magic number seems to be 25 to about 28 or 29 feet. That's where you're going to find them on the bottom. So if I'm looking for them, I'm going to define my depth range of looking for individual fish that are sitting in 25 to say 28 or 29 feet of water, sitting tight to the structure. Having said that, that's only the range they're sitting at. That does not mean that that fish won't come up to the surface to grab a bait or halfway up to, to grab a bait. So the depth range is only where he wants to sit, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with where he's willing to bite, and that goes back to the strike zone definition, right? If I can get him to notice the bait from 20 feet away, well, maybe he'll come get it. The other thing I figured out is that really aggressive maneuvers with my bait at times will get fish to really pounce to the point where small, really fast movement has at times paid really well, as has the complete lack of movement. And it doesn't even have to be a realistic shaped bait. It's just not moving. And therefore, they'll give it a kiss just to see what it is. Keep in mind, fish are curious for one. And for two, the only way they can tell anything about anything is to bite it, right? They can look at it and smell it. But at the end of the day, if they want to feel it, they have to bite it. And I don't care why he bit it, just that he bit it. And so you'll get fish that I just can't get to bite. And then I'll just quit moving the lure altogether. Just don't move it at all. For Hold it as still as you can possibly hold it. Obviously, you have to have a stationary boat for this. It has to be a calm day. Uh, hold it to where you there's no movement at all, and they'll bite it. And 
I've had other days where if it stops moving, they won't bite it. So the technology gives me the ability to see that, though. I can see what my bait's doing. How fast does it sink versus how fast am I reeling it? Things like that. Also, it gives me a chance to see exactly how deep my baits really are running. And that's a whole new thing that, that we may not have thought about before. But I can take a crankbait. Let's say I take a, a Dredger 17.5, right, which is a, a deep diving crankbait designed to, to dive 17 and a half feet. I will lob that thing way out in front of the boat. And you think, well, that's going to go 17 feet for sure. Well, maybe, maybe not. But it depends on how fast you wind it and what line you have on it and whether the rod tip is in the water or, or near the water surface or up you know, sticking up some, but I can change that a lot. But more importantly, the one I can change how deep it'll run is I can have that information because I can see it coming to me on the sonar. So I can see how much difference it makes to change the angle of my rod is to see how deep uh, a bait really is running or not running, as the case might be. So it gives me a chance to evaluate my baits really well, uh, which is another thing I, I think is, is, has been a very valuable tool of having the live sonar. The other thing, another thing that I've learned, I should say, by having the active target and live sonar is the commingling of fish. I see a lot of times now where I've got 100% clear different species of fish all hanging out together at the same time, and it doesn't seem to bother them at all, whereas historically I would have thought we were fishing around one species or the other more. But what I find out is you can see by their behavior, they're totally different. And so particularly I'm noticing this with smallmouth and walleyes, you'll get one or two walleyes that'll show up on the graph and they'll be a little bit larger than the smallmouth for one, but they don't move around nearly so much. And the only way I figured out they were walleyes was to catch one of them. Uh, but so now I've learned to, to spot them and say, okay, well, there's there's one onesie twosies that aren't moving hardly at all. Smallmouth, on the other hand, move around like crazy. Trout move around like crazy. Wipers and white bass moving around like crazy. Walleyes, on the other hand, not necessarily so much, but I very commonly find them swimming around with the smallmouth. So the, the, the species have no problem cohabitating in the same structure, around the same stuff. That's definitely something I've seen. Uh, let me throw out a negative I've learned. Uh, I'm a giant fan of line watching and watching either your line or the tip of your rod to give you some idea of when you're bit. I have missed a whole bunch of bites because I'm looking at my sonar instead of looking at my fish. I've even gone so far as to flinch because I see the fish appears he bites the bait. I don't feel him. I swing anyway at him. Uh, and that doesn't catch you any fish doing that. Yeah, that's generally a good way to put them off, unless you're snap jigging or something like that. As soon as you jerk hard on one like that because you think he bit it uh, because you saw him on the graph and it looked like he bit it, he did not bite it, and he's not there. Now you spooked him. So everything I've learned from sonar is not necessarily good from the technology here, uh, is not necessarily good. I've, 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 there are times when you just need to settle in and focus on fishing. So now I've gotten to some degree where... Find the fish, make sure they're reasonably active in terms of they're in tune to what's going on, and then go back to fishing because the fish will stay with the bait. I figured that out. Uh, just focus on the fishing for a little bit and not just the screen. Just because the screen's telling you information doesn't mean you need to be staring at it. You really, at times, still need to be working on nuances with the rod. And, uh, and so that's one of the things I'm trying to focus on because I've probably missed a half dozen fish in the last week that bit 
uh, when I wasn't in position because I'm looking at the screen. I'm not paying attention to where my rod is or I'm not watching my line. So I'm a little bit out of position and bam, sure enough, I get the bite and I miss the hook set. So not everything with the technology is good. It's going to make your boat a little tougher to manage, uh, to set up and handle the data and everything else. Certainly a little bit of network management goes in. Anyone that spends any time around computers and phones and all that, all the updates, the software updates, all that stuff, uh, that all has to be dealt with if you're going to have a boat with a bunch of technology, but it will teach you a bunch about fish, uh, but it is not the end-all be-all. So I am of the opinion that, yes, it's a huge advantage, and in a lot of scenarios, it's a gigantic advantage, but it's not got to have it, oh my gosh, I'm never going to catch fish again without it type deal. And it's also not cheating because, or quote-unquote cheating, because it doesn't always, like I said, it doesn't always lead to catching more fish. In the long run, it will for sure, depending on what kind of fishing you do and where you fish. But, uh, and and there's no way at this point I'm going to have a boat without that technology in it. Um, but having said that, I guarantee you there's there's some bad things about having it as well. So don't automatically get envy some guy that has it and you don't have a forward-facing sonar and, oh, geez, I can't beat that guy. Well, yeah, you can. You just focus on fishing fundamentals and you'll do just fine with it. So, and I also want to point out quickly that I am not a fan of technology in general. I am not a computer video gamer. I'm not, I never have been a guy that wants to be on a screen a whole bunch. Uh, but but forward-facing sonar has gotten me even more into sonar classes that, or sonar envy uh, uh, or whatever you want to call it, sonar intensive, I guess is the right word, than I ever was before. And I also point out that I've been teaching sonar and GPS classes on the water in boats for a decade. So obviously I have enough technology in, in me, uh, tolerance in me to want, to want to teach it to other people. And the, and the, live, the live sonar has taken that to a whole other level. So... I realize this particular podcast is a little bit specialized to the more hardcore guys that are maybe fishing tournaments um, or something like that. Obviously, there's significant dollar investment involved with that, so I realize that this particular podcast isn't for everybody. But it's been on my it's been on my brain the last week and of some heavy duty fishing for this particular project. And I've been talking about it with a lot of people, and I've gotten so many opinions. I figured we'd talk about it here on a podcast, but. If you guys want to join the conversation, I'd appreciate that very much at Fishful Thinker on Facebook or Instagram and our YouTube channel at Fishful Thinker. There's stuff on sonar and on all of the above. Uh, would love to have you check that stuff out. And rest assured, next week's podcast will be something that's maybe a little more widespread in terms of its, uh, of, of its use or appeal to anglers out there. If you guys ever have questions, shoot them to me, chat at fishfulthinker.com uh, or ideas for podcasts. I'd love to hear what you guys want to hear about. And most importantly, we hope you'll tune in to either Altitude Sports Entertainment or World Fishing Network and see what we got on TV for you next week. So. Thanks for listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.